It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Moving on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter. At Play Like a Jet 1. And it's time for part two of the mailbag. And for that, of course, as always, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. And our next question is from Jesse Parrots. He says, long term, do you think the Jets will be better off with Gase and Douglas or any of the coaches the Jets interviewed? Take your pick. And Mike McCagnin staying? This is a tough question to answer because we don't know the job that Joe Douglas is going to do yet. We know his reputation and we know that certainly Mike McCagnin deserved to get fired. I'm going to say that at this point, the answer is Joe Douglas and Adam Gase. And the reason is I think that the general manager is the most important guy in building the team because he's the one that's going to have final say. So he'll be the one that has the final call on draft picks and trades and free agent signings. He'll have input from everybody else, but ultimately Joe Douglas will be the one that has the final say. He has a reputation for being really good at that. We've gone through numerous examples from his days with the Ravens and his days with Philadelphia. I think that Joe Douglas being here, and I'm hoping that I'm right about this, is going to be something that will help turn the corner with this franchise because they haven't had a strong decision maker in charge of the football operations in quite a while. Also, let's remember that Douglas has the power to fire Gase at some point if he wants to do that. If Mike McCagnin had stayed, he would have retained final say, and so whoever the coach was, even if they did a good job, there was going to be a limit to what they would be able to accomplish because we all know that Mike McCagnin has no idea what he's doing in terms of building a roster. So while I'm not the biggest Adam Gase fan, I definitely think that Douglas being here, even with Gase, is better than keeping McCagnin and having one of the coaches that we may have preferred. Yeah, this is a super tricky answer because, I mean, a question because obviously the the correct answer is, you know, pick one of the other coaches mm-hmm. and then uh, also get rid of McCagnin and <laughs> give him Joe Douglas. But that that's cheating. That's not answering the question correctly, so I can't do that. Uh, you know, but the other thing is, like, we don't know how, like, where was McCagnin when the decision was made? Where was McCagnin's like safety level here? Um, could it have been possible that they could have hired Matt Rule or uh, Todd Monken and then they had one season and not made the playoffs? And then Christopher Johnson was just like, all right, Mac, you get out of here too. Because then maybe that would present a better situation. Of course, then we don't know what GM they would be bringing in. Um, and right now, I'm I'm going to 
go with Douglas here, um, the, the Douglas and Gaze combo, just like you. Um, and the, but the, the weird thing about even saying that is we still don't uh, with GMs, and you're talking about uh, you know first time GMs. I know everyone's excited about Joe Douglas, and I understand the excitement, and I encourage the excitement. But at the same time, we have no idea what he's got. There's nothing we can really look at except for hey, he worked with good organizations that have been successful uh, over the years. That's all we and like, and people really like and respect him. That's all we can point at. Like, uh, so we don't know what that's going to translate to. Um, and uh, but so even me, I'm I'm not a fan. And but even me, I'm encouraged by Joe you know, Douglas. But I don't know that I have enough information where I actually should be encouraged. The one thing that makes this a slam dunk no brainer for me though is the fact that Mike McCagnin continually ignored the offensive line in the draft and spent a ton of money trying to fix it uh, patchwork style and free agency, and that didn't work out, and he continued to ignore it in the draft, and I have no doubt that Joe Douglas is going to reverse course there, and he is going to put a focus on that, and that alone is enough for me to choose the Joe Douglas-Adam Gase combination. And then, as you mentioned, there's a, a, there's a distinct possibility that it, it maybe not this year, but if next year they don't make the playoffs and get a turnaround, that then Joe Douglas would say, okay, get out of here, Adam, and go find him a new coach. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. He says, how much heat do you think is going to be on Joe Douglas at the end of the season to start changing things and making them better around here? There's going to be plenty of heat. I think that the Johnsons realize that it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight, but he's definitely going to be expected to put enough pieces together here to get the Jets into the playoffs next season, I would think. Now, obviously, this accelerates if, as we were talking about earlier, the Jets finish strong. So if, let's say, they go 0-6, but then they win 7 or 8 of their last 10, then there's going to be higher expectations, too, going into the following season. But I think that the Johnsons are going to expect Joe Douglas to put together a playoff roster next year. I think it's certainly possible if he can add enough pieces in the draft and through free agency that he could get this team right into the playoff discussion. I think a lot of us felt that that would be the case this year, but they just weren't close enough. And there wasn't enough margin for error where if they lost enough players to injury, they were going to be able to keep going. A couple of key players gone, and the Jets pretty much folded up their chances of going to the playoffs this year. So I think that there's going to be plenty of heat on Joe Douglas, but I'm sure he knew that when he took the job. Yeah, he absolutely knew that when he took the job. He took a look at the roster. He he saw all the holes and weaknesses. You know, he tried to uh, plug it with Ryan Khalil right off the bat in the offensive line. He tried. He's he's his hands are tied to what he can do right now. But he, here's the thing about this: he, he's putting that heat on himself just as much as anybody else's. I'm sure because he looked at this roster, he looked at everything, and he was like. You know, he's tried to uh, be aggressive with the second moves he's made in the secondary, bringing in Alex Lewis as a backup offensive lineman as well, going out and getting Khalil. He's, and, but he's like, these, these are the only types of moves I can make. He's kind of hand, handcuffed and like he was very limited in what type of moves he can make. After going into the full off season where he can actually go 
out and, you know, target free agents and bring them in. And he can just set his sights on guys in the draft and actually draft them and bring them in. He can, uh, you know, pull off another trade. Uh, he's going to be as eager to do that as anybody else is for him to do that. He's going to look into that. He's going to feel all of that. And he knows the urgency, especially, again, come back to the offensive line. Now, there, there's a, all five of those guys could be gone next year. I, I, again, I'm going to say this. It's unlikely that they're going to have an entire new offensive line. But pick any of them. They could all – any of them on that line could be gone. Any combination of three or four of them could be gone. Um now, obviously, that if they, you have to go to free agency, you have to spend some money there. Uh, but I, again, I think he's going to do a, a lot of that in the draft. Uh, it's also going to free up a lot of money because right now they don't have a ton of cap space for this year. Uh, they'll, but they'll have a bunch opening up next year. Um, he he's going to have his hands full though because this this that whole entire offensive line is bad. He's got, that needs to be addressed. They need another weapon. They need another a receiving target now. Uh, they need some cornerback help. They need a, a couple more pieces here and there. But th- those are the, the main areas he needs to focus on, and he's well aware of that now. And I think he's just kind of itching, and I think he's probably like uh, going nuts that there's nothing he can do about it really since he's been brought in here it was too late in the process for him to really do anything substantial so once those gates open up where he can start making actual moves i think he's going to pounce on it just as quickly as anybody wants him to next question comes in from clifton hopkins he says i'm worried that long term as far as gates goes he doesn't want sam Am I thinking incorrectly? Realistically, how much of a timetable is it before this team becomes a playoff team? So let's start with the first part of this. I don't know how crazy Gase was about Darnold leading up to the draft last year. There have been conflicting reports about that. Gase himself has said that he didn't waste time scouting Darnold that extensively because he didn't feel like he was going to be in a position to draft him. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News came out with the report that Gase was sort of being disingenuous, and that in reality he wasn't that impressed with Darnold and was much more impressed with Baker Mayfield and to a somewhat lesser extent Josh Rosen. No way to know for sure the extent of Adam Gase's like or dislike for Sam Darnold because the only one that can tell you with 100% certainty is Adam Gase, and there's no way to know if he's telling the truth when he says it because obviously even if he didn't really like Darnold that much, he's not going to come out and say that. However, I think that regardless of what he felt about Darnold coming into this job, he knows that he is completely tied to Sam Darnold here. So if Sam Darnold fails... Adam Gase fails, period, end of sentence. So regardless of whether or not Gase loves Darnold, he knows that he's got to get the most out of him or he's cooked. And this is not going to be a situation like Cliff Kingsbury when he came in and said, eh, Rosen's not really my guy, I want Kyler Murray. Gase is not going to be able to get away with that because when he was hired, he was specifically told, one of your biggest jobs is to get Sam Darnold to the next level. So if he then goes to the Johnsons and Joe Douglas and says, this guy's just not a guy can get to the next level. They're going to say, okay, well, you've now proven that you can't do the job that we brought you in here to do. 
The second part of this question, realistically, how much time is it going to take before the Jets become a playoff team? Going back to the question that we just answered before, if Joe Douglas does a good job this offseason, I think there's a pretty good chance that the Jets will be right in the playoff mix, if not right there for the playoffs next season. But that, of course, assumes that guys like Sam Darnold take that next leap and Joe Douglas does a really good job drafting, doing free agent signings, making trades, so on and so forth. So I think it's certainly in the realm of possibility that 2020 is a playoff year if everything is done right. And regardless of whether or not Adam Gase loves Sam Darnold, it doesn't matter because he's not going to be able to try to replace him. And he knows that if Darnold does well, he does well. And if Darnold fails, he fails. So he's going to do everything in his power to get Sam Darnold to that next level, whether or not he believes in his heart of hearts that Darnold can ever get there. As far as uh, how Gase felt about Darnold coming into the draft, I have no idea. That's not something that I've really looked into. When when Gase said uh, you know that about Darnold, that made complete sense to me because everybody was thinking Darnold was going number one at the you know from most of the until like the day before the draft is when we started think hearing hey it might be Baker but even at that point it's like yeah but he's not making it past two and three um, so uh, that made sense to me that he wouldn't uh, do that much digging into Darnold. Um, but also, I don't think it matters now uh, what he felt. And I thought I like Baker and, and Rosen better than Darnold, too. And like now I'm looking at it and like, I don't know. I think Darnold might have a higher ceiling than both of them. So um, what I've seen from Gase and Darnold is, is Gase has loved, loved what he saw from Darnold all offseason, all training camp, all preseason. And there is no reason to think that the one game against Buffalo when he was clearly playing for, with Mono changed any of his thoughts there. But now you can also look at the flip side of when Gase got hired in Miami, he basically looked at the available job openings and he picked Miami because he thought Ryan Tannehill was the best quarterback of a bunch of bad quarterback options there for him. Um, he he could have had a similar thought process here where he was like, well, hitching myself to Darnold will be the best uh, choice I got. Um, but since he's been in here, I do believe everything he has said about Darnold. And maybe that's me being a little naive and only believing that because my eyes are telling me the same thing. Uh, so I, I would find it hard to believe that he doesn't really like Darnold and isn't happy about being tied to him. But like you just said, he is tied to him. There's, there, he is not going to be able to pull any type of power move to say, all right, we're cutting Darnold at the end of the season and going in new, new direction. He, he's tied to Darnold. Darnold is his quarterback. Um, so when Darnold can get back and play and is healthy again, he's going to have to ride it out with Sam. And if it doesn't work with Sam, then he's going to be on his way out. And Sam will likely still get another shot with another coach at that point because I, for everything I've seen of Sam, he's going to get at least five years to to get a chance to show it improve here. I just don't think that he there's a chance in hell that he's not going to at least I keep having showing enough to make you believe that he can do it. I would think that it, his leash is a lot longer than Gase's. So. As far now, as far as the playoff team, it depends on what 
Joe Douglas does in this offseason, and it's mostly about what he can do with that offensive line. If he can make enough changes in that offensive line to bring them up to an average offensive line level and add one more receiver and, like, one more cornerback, then I think this team could be fighting for a playoff and actually possibly make the playoffs next year. If not, it's probably going to be two years away, but I don't think it's it's going to be much needed. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Sebastian Strunk. He says, do you see Blake Cashman's future as a 3-4 Mike linebacker? I think it's a better way to switch to a base 4-3 front to maximize his strengths as a will linebacker. They don't have a true 3-4 outside linebacker and 4-3 defensive end either, so I think it's better to call it 4-3. They can play Leo and Q as defensive tackles and Jenkins as the Sam. So let's start with Jenkins and Leonard Williams in this equation. We have no idea if they're going to be here for the long haul. Both guys are free agents. Theoretically, the Jets could bring them back, but they could also go elsewhere. I don't expect either one of them to get franchise tags. Certainly not Jordan Jenkins. Leonard Williams, probably not unless he picks his play up. So I wouldn't base anything on what those guys bring to the table. As far as Cashman goes, though, the fact that he's able to do well in pass coverage means that he's pretty versatile. So I think that he could work either as a 3-4 Mike or a 4-3 Will. I don't think it matters either way necessarily, and it's going to depend largely on the other players that are brought in around him. But I think that if Greg Williams switches to a 4-3 next year, Cashman will be fine. If he stays in a 3-4, he'll also be fine. Yeah, I I agree. I don't think it really matters. And number one, I don't think it matters because it, as we talk about this a lot, people get too hung up on running a three four or four three because every defense in the NFL is multiple, and then you switch to a nickel base anyway, and then you you, 
you got four down linemen there. And I also think that Blake Cashman is perfectly suited at either. I Everything you just said, I agree with. He could definitely play a, a will in the 4-3, and that'll maximize his coverage ability and use his speed. But he's perfectly fine as a, a middle linebacker in a 3-4 next to T.J. Mosley as well. I agree with what you said about, you know, you can't really look at Leonard Williams and Jordan Jenkins and factor that in uh, right now, especially going forward. But the teams are always going to go back and forth. They're going to play some 3-4. They're going to play some 4-3. They're going to do nickel, dime, quarters. They're going to do all different fronts. So people, I think, get a little too hung up on that. And with someone like Blake Cashman, I don't know that you're going to see much of a difference in him either way. I think he he can be great in Excel either in either of those spots. He can definitely do the uh, the will four three, but he can also be a middle line like in the three four two. And I don't, I I just don't see any reason to get hung up on that. I think he's going to succeed no matter what. Next question comes in from Mister Wantre. He says the Jets are zero and three since switching to the new uniforms. Is that a bad omen, or am I reading too much into this? <laughs> this is a question that I'm sure Paulie would get real mad about if he were reading this. Let's just have a little fun with this. The Jets need to switch back to the old uniforms immediately because they were so successful with the old uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> they need to switch back to the old Kelly Green uniforms. Uh, let's go with that just because those are the coolest. But I was thinking about this, though, the other day when I saw, you know, the Patriots uh, sign Mike Nugent to, to be their kicker now with Gaskowski out. And if, if if the Patriots win a Super Bowl because of Mike Nugent kicking a field goal, kicking a game-winning field goal, I think I think that's what Jets fans need to root for to happen here. Because I, I think that if there is a curse on the Jets franchise, and I'm not one that normally believes in this type of stuff, you know, I, I like the uh, – Michael Scott line from the office. I'm a big fan of the line where I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. <laughs> so if there if there is a curse on this Jets franchise, Mike Nugent taking a game winning field goal for the Patriots to win a Super Bowl would have to lift that curse. So I think that's what you guys need to root for right now. Just just for this year for that to happen. I Mike Nugent somehow. Someone at this point in his career, at 37 years old, kicking a game-winning field goal for the Patriots, that has to officially lift the curse if there is one. Next question, which is more like a three-paragraph essay, comes in from Michael Christopher. This is what Michael does, and we love him for it. He says, why does it seem, and do you think it's true, that Gase and Bowles hate playing rookies? If you look at it, when was the last developmental player the Jets had on this roster that has actually developed into a core player? The Ravens seem to do this with great regularity with their linebackers. You would think Joe Douglas would put more of an emphasis on this, having come up through that system so that this team could develop their own guys. Wesco hasn't touched the field despite the fact that Gase supposedly pushed for that selection. Adoga can't possibly be worse than the other tackles, but yet he doesn't play or even dress. Why is this? At some point, rookies have to matter i don't think the jets are going to finish in the top five of the draft this year but who would you choose if you were joe douglas and chase young the outside pass rushing stud or andrew thomas or tristan Wirfs, the left tackles of the future were on the board and why would you choose this player so let's start with the first part of this 
I don't think that there's any kind of bias against rookies. I just think that in the case of somebody like Adoga, he wasn't ready to go right away. He was somebody that was drafted with the idea that maybe at some point late in the season he'd get a shot and then he would be the guy that would take over one of the tackle spots in 2020. I think part of the problem with Bowles is that the rookies that McCagney was giving him were mostly not good enough to play. He played Jamal Adams right away. He played Marcus May right away. He played Christopher Herndon right away. But a lot of these guys, as we've seen, just weren't any good. So that's why Todd Bowles wasn't playing most of them. With Adam Gase, I can't really tell you exactly what's going on with Wesco. Maybe Wesco's not looking as sharp in practice as he did at points in training camp. With Adolga, I already told you what I think the answer is there. But I just think it's mostly that there haven't been a lot of good rookies. It's sad, but it shows you how badly Joe Douglas is going to need to turn things around in that respect because there should be, like you said, a significant number of rookies that are in the mix every season. And as far as the second part of this question that you asked with who I would pick if I had my choice of anybody in this draft outside of the quarterbacks, there's a part of me that says Andrew Thomas because the Jets need an offensive lineman more than anybody else. But Chase Young just looks like he's going to be such a dominant pass rusher. So as much as I know they have to fix the offensive line in this scenario, I also know that if the Jets have a pick high enough to select one of these guys, they've got a pretty high pick in the second and third round. I'm going to trust Joe Douglas to be able to use those picks to help fix the offensive line. And I just think that Chase Young is the kind of guy that could terrorize quarterbacks for the next 10 to 15 years. So that would be the guy that I would pick if I had my choice of anybody in this draft. Yes, I, I agree with everything you just said that, you know, with Bulls, I was critical of Bulls, of not of not playing young players early, but his uh, hesitant to bench, you know, certain veterans. You know, Muhammad Wilkerson situation, obviously, we know he, he wanted to bench Jermaine Johnson, but there was times uh, where, not even bench Revis, but when Revis was clearly wasn't playing great, he... Uh, he he didn't really adapt to it. That's where my, more my criticism with Bowles when it, and people would kind of put that hand in hand with not playing younger players. But the problem with, wasn't that Bowles wasn't willing to play younger players because you just rattled off a bunch of young players he played right off the bat. Um, Gates is playing Quinnen Williams right off the bat. Obviously, he got injured in the first game, but that's not going to be a problem. Uh, he's going to slide right back in and get a bunch of playing time. Um, the problem was that McCagnan wasn't drafting players that were good enough. I mean, he spent a second-round draft pick on Christian Hackenberg, and Christian Hackenberg couldn't ever get into an NFL game because he just wasn't good enough. Um, you know, he he spent a draft picks on Derek Jones and Jeremy Clark. Uh, he, he spent on uh, Dylan Donahue. Like, these guys aren't in the league anymore. Are Darius Stewart and Chad Hansen? They're not even in the league anymore. Like some of these players got uh, flamed out of, uh, you know, the, the, the AAF or whatever uh, it was called. So uh, they were just bad draft picks. They weren't good enough to play. And that's the biggest reason why Bulls didn't play them. I do think he was a little too hesitant to move on from certain veterans at times, but he, he might've been more willing to if, uh, McCagnan was able to draft better players. Uh, the Wesco thing is interesting, though, because that is something that doesn't make sense to me with Gase, especially, like, I could understand it in other scenarios and situations, 
But this offensive line has been so bad, and they're not going extra, and they're not setting. You would think you draft a blocking tight end that at that spot, and he looked good in preseason training camp, good enough that I would think I'd see him sent out there more to try to help uh, with protection issues. But that hasn't been the case, so that is definitely confusing. Uh, but I I don't think that uh, you know I do think Gase has a little bit of a bring the rookies along slowly situation here. But if if he really thought that he had an answer at one of these positions, I do think he would do it. The Wesco one is the one where I'm a little uh, questioning. With Chuma Doga, I agree with you. As much as I liked the pick at the time, it was a, a little bit of a developmental pick. And I saw some good things in training camp. Uh, but I don't know that, that he's ready. Uh, and to say that, like, he can't possibly be worse than Brandon Shell or Kelvin Beecham, I don't know about that. Now, if, you know, in a couple of weeks, if we haven't seen any improvement on that offensive line, then I'm throwing Chuma in there and I'm seeing what he has no matter what. But at this point, I'm not ready to say that Chuma Doga is definitely better than those guys. Uh, and I can understand the hesitation to do that there. And then further complicating matters is, you know, Kalecchi Assembly had an injury in practice and he might not play. So now uh, Harrison might have to go in and play at guard spot, which means that w- there wouldn't be a change at center uh, or Alex Lewis and Tom Compton could go. Who knows exactly how that's going to go there. But I think it, right now with Bowles and Gase, it's really just like, yeah, these guys, these options you're giving us for these young guys aren't good enough. And it's just that simple. And the answer to fix that is draft better. As far as uh, the, the who would I draft, um, for, first I'll say I would strongly consider trading down in that scenario and see what I can get, especially if one of those top quarterbacks is still on the board. Maybe you can get some huge type of haul there. But if I have to make a decision on – picking between those players, I would do what you do, what you said. Give me Chase Young because he just looks like an absolute monster and uh, he is a pass rushing beast and give me that guy and then bank on Douglas to be able to find offensive line guys in the second and third because you're not finding a pass rusher like that in the second or third. And uh, yeah, I that's the route that I would take as much as they desperately need the offensive line fix. it's just you can't really pass on a guy like him at that point. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Final question comes in from Nick. He says, Stefan Diggs may be available. Should the Jets chase him? What do you think the asking price would be? I'm going to disagree with you on that, Chris, but I'll let you say your piece in a second. I wouldn't go after Stefan Diggs, and I'm going to tell you why. He is going to require a major haul of draft picks, which he should because he's one of the best young receivers in the league. 
the problem is the Jets don't really have a haul of draft picks that they can spare because as you and I have been talking about, Chris, they have got to rebuild that offensive line. They need to get a pass rusher. They've got needs at cornerback. They do need a receiver, but they can't be giving up everything they've got to go and get a wide receiver. And I like Diggs, but we're not talking about New Hopkins here either. He's a really, really good receiver, but I wouldn't put him on that level. So I just think the asking price is going to be too much. We've already heard reports that the Vikings would have to be blown away to part with him. I'm thinking you're looking at a first rounder plus. It could be something like a first and a second round pick. At that point, the price is just too steep for the Jets. Obviously, when a player this good is available, you make a phone call and see what it would take. But I just don't think Diggs is a realistic target. And on top of that, I don't think Diggs would want to come here. He wants to go somewhere where his talents will be utilized and where he'll have a chance to compete. That's not the Jets right now. So I just don't think it's realistic. Obviously, you would want a player of his caliber, but I don't think the Jets are any kind of landing point that he's going to want to go to or that it would make sense for them to give up those type of draft picks when they have so many needs that they need to take care of. And the draft is going to be their major mechanism for that. See, operating under the assumptions you are right there, I'm not really disagreeing, but I'm disagreeing with your assumption because I don't think it would take that much of a haul to get Stefan Diggs. Uh, they are up against the cap, and they have a lot of money tied up in their quarterback and their two receivers, and they want to run the ball. And they, that, that's what they want this offense to be. And they are up against the cap. They, I don't think that it will cost that much to get rid of them. Um, now, at, at part of it would depend on what other teams are getting in and what they're offering, because if there's a lot of competition for them, then that might up it. But I, I, I think you could probably get him for just like a, a second round pick or you know a second and a fourth. I don't think it would cost them that much. And now they'd have to do some I, – I don't know exactly how this stuff works with the trading because he's got a – Dick does a cap hit number of $12 million this year uh, with 8.9 of that guaranteed. The Jets only have a little over $6 million in cap space right now. But, you know, they're a quarter through the season. Uh, so how much would the Vikings be on the hook for paying? And I, 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 I don't know the – details of how that works but obviously the Jets could free up cap space and do things to make that work but if if we're talking about like a first round well, step on things then I'm with you you can't do that but I don't think I think the Vikings are kind of in a position where they need to get rid of them right now because they're up against the cap they want to run the ball it doesn't make have that much sense to have that much invested in your receivers and quarterback and then run the ball I just I don't understand that mindset but that's what they want to do and it seems like they're trying and Kirk Cousins is trying to mend the relationship with Thielen way more than they're trying to do so with Diggs so I don't think it would cost that much unless a bunch of other teams are getting in there and trying to bid too and in that case I bow out but if, if I could get Diggs for a second and like a fourth uh, the or some, something along those lines, I would absolutely do that. Sure, but I don't think there's any chance you're getting him for that because there's going to be a ton of competition if he's made available, which at the moment Minnesota is claiming he is not. Remember, he's young. He's one of the best receivers in the league. 
He's certainly significantly better than what Amari Cooper was thought to be at the time that Cooper was dealt to the Cowboys, and Cooper fetched a first-round pick with only one year left on his deal. Diggs has three and a half very affordable years left on his deal, especially for a wide receiver of his caliber. After this year, it's $11 million, $12 million, $12 million, and then I believe there's a fourth-year option as well for $12 million. So... This is a player that's going to have a lot of value if he's available. There are going to be a lot of contending teams that are going to be willing to give up quite a bit. I just don't see any way that the Jets would be able to get him for a second and a fourth. If they could do that, sure, but I don't think that's happening. Plus, as I said, I don't think Diggs is going to want to come here anyway for a variety of reasons. And it makes sense because if you're a guy like him, you want to go somewhere where you think you can put up major numbers and where you think you could compete right away. That's not the Jets. So... I'm sure that Joe Douglas would make a phone call if he hasn't already just to investigate, but it doesn't seem like a realistic scenario to me. Chris, that is going to wrap up this mailbag for this weekend. We are going to be back tomorrow with our pregame report, plus we will have lots of extras. As you know, my brother Craig will join to talk about his gambling picks. In the meantime, Chris, I know you've got tons of stuff up over at JetsInsider.com, so what can people expect to read when they head over there? Yeah, I've got a couple things up there now. I will have a preview up later and a bunch more um, articles coming up, um, getting ready to prepare for the Eagles, how they can try to beat the Eagles. Obviously, they got that uh, scary defensive front, but that secondary is beatable. And, um, you know, obviously, again, the Eagles turned it around last week offensively against the Packers, so that's got to be a little bit scary. But we'll see about that. And then, obviously, we'll have, all all types of articles after the game breaking down what happened and then don't moving forward what they can do to uh improve and get better going forward there so it'll have plenty of uh good stuff up there for you guys to read go ahead and read chris's very big deal work over at jetsinsider.com Follow him on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Follow his deputy editor, the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club. Even though Calvin Anderson has moved on to greener pastures, he remains the president of the fan club. That's Alan Schechter at Alan underscore S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.